This episode is brought to you by Chevron, the human energy company. This is Portico Energy. I'm Josh Siegel. Beginning Sunday in Egypt, the world's most consequential climate change conversations will start back up again. The 27th annual United Nations Climate Change Conference, better known as COP27, will try to build on the achievements of last year's negotiations where countries strengthen their climate commitments. But this year's COP is unique, with a stronger focus on climate finance and climate reparations, and it comes on the heels of a global energy crisis and tense geopolitical relations between the U.S. and China, the world's two biggest emitters. So today we check in with Politico Zach Coleman to recap last year's COP and what he's watching out for this year. It's Friday, November 4th. So Zach, the last big UN climate conference a year ago was celebrated as a big breakthrough as countries, including the U.S., enhanced their emissions reduction targets. So remind us what happened there. Well, the U.S. said they were going to reduce their emissions in half relative to 2005 levels by 2030. And that is essentially what climate scientists say needs to be done. And President Biden has since then backed it up with the Inflation Reduction Act, which gets us 40% to that goal based on those projections. That was kind of a bellwether. If the U.S. comes to play, then other nations will follow. And a lot did. A lot increased their emissions goals. A lot of countries ended up implementing policies to end financing for fossil fuels overseas. You saw a big amount of commitments from the corporate sector as well. But there were also other countries that didn't up their targets all that much. China, for example, the world's largest emitter, did not significantly budge their emissions targets, which of course was a big drag to a lot of people who had assembled in Glasgow, Scotland. However, the US and China did make a consequential announcement where China would agree to address their emissions of methane for the first time ever, which is also going to be huge in the climate change game going forward. However, those relations with China are very rocky right now. They are not even talking to each other, even though Secretary Kerry, who is the special climate envoy for President Biden, is still trying to get back on track with his counterpart in China. They have exchanged some messages trying to get talks restarted. We're not certain what's happening there. And that will be a huge issue heading into this next COP. Gotcha. Yeah. So on this upcoming COP, it sounds like the fight over climate reparations, a concept known as loss and damage, is going to be the centerpiece of this conference in Egypt. So tell us about what that's all about and why it's the big focus now. Yeah, so climate reparations, loss and damage, essentially is this idea that rich nations' past emissions have caused such irreversible effects in vulnerable countries who the emissions have nothing to do with the climate change that we're experiencing now, but these places have lost land, they've lost cultural touchstones, they've had migration. Basically, rich countries should have to compensate them in some way for that destruction. And For a long time, this has been a controversial topic because there has been concern in the rich world, including from the US and the European Union, that they would be held legally liable for their past emissions for these damages and destruction caused in other parts of the world. Now, we've largely, in many respects, moved away from that liability issue. It was actually written into the Paris Climate Agreement that 
there would not be any sort of liability or compensation for past emissions. It's pretty clear that that is not a line the U.S. and the EU and other nations are willing to cross. But what you are seeing now is an openness to paying for these damages in some way. Now, developing nations want a new dedicated financing mechanism to pay for these damages that would set up a new system to distinguish it from other existing pots of money. They want that distinct pot of money because they don't want it to be double counted with those other forms of assistance. But the U.S. is walking into these negotiations with the mindset of even if we are willing to now pay for this, which is about face, really. I mean, the U.S. has been the roadblock in this discussion for years. But they're saying we don't necessarily agree that a financing mechanism is needed. We might have existing pots of money where we can draw from to pay for these damages. And that will be one of the bigger negotiating topics at the COP. Interesting. So what other themes are you watching at this COP? So I think the relationship between China and the U.S. is obviously something that the world is watching and I will be watching as well. You cannot solve climate change without both of those countries getting on the right track and especially not without China, where they account for about close to one third of the world's climate emissions. There's also this side conversation on what are called just energy transition partnerships, which are not officially part of the COP, but they're these rich country plans to package aid in middle-income developing countries like South Africa and Indonesia and Vietnam to help them transition off of coal and toward renewables. I also will be looking to see how the developed world and how the EU and US in particular handle claims from African nations that they are not able to access the type of finance that they want to develop their own gas resources to use for energy, whereas a bunch of European Union countries are coming to Africa trying to get access to their gas to stem the energy crisis. So a lot of geopolitical maneuvering that's going to happen at this COP that are not necessarily related to the actual negotiations, but you certainly will see a lot of saber-rattling, hand-wringing, positioning, and a lot of complicated politics here because the broader global energy crisis and geopolitical upheaval that is caused is going to come home to roost at this COP. Also, on Thursday, a government watchdog blasted both the Environmental Protection Agency and the Energy Department for their, quote, inconsistent management and decision-making on waivers for small refiners under the nation's biofuel blending program. The Government Accountability Office's report criticized the agencies for not having quality data when deciding whether small refiners should be granted exemptions under the Renewable Fuel Standard and for changing their processes multiple times. For context, the RFS requires blenders to incorporate a certain amount of ethanol, biodiesel, and other renewable fuels into the nation's fuel supply each year. But small refiners can petition EPA annually for an exemption from those blending requirements if they face disproportionate economic hardship. After the report came out Thursday, congressional Republicans quickly criticized the Biden administration for bungling the program and said the administration can expect oversight on this issue if the GOP wins one or both chambers of Congress in next week's midterm elections. 
For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our free newsletter at politico.com slash power dash switch. And subscribe to Politico Pro to read our morning energy newsletter. Some of the music in today's show was composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Nirmal Malaykal is the podcast producer. Raghu Madhavalan edited the show this week. Jenny Amitz is the executive producer of audio at Politico. Our editors are Matt Daly and Gloria Gonzalez. I'm Josh Siegel, and we'll see you back on Monday. This episode is brought to you by Chevron, the human energy company. Did you know that Chevron is working with partners in California to convert the methane from cow waste into renewable natural gas that one day can help fuel trucks across the nation? Find out more at chevron.com slash RNG.